Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer and artist and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field. Today's guest has become a household sensation within our offices with his origin mystery series, writing under pseudonym, Jerry, along with his wife and partner, Anne, are better known in the publishing world as A.G. Riddle. Pretty clever. So rather than just shooting everything up, up front, I want to be able to just welcome and get started in this. So hello, Jerry. Thank you for having me. So, Jerry, you started writing after you'd already been working in the business world for, for a while. And one of the things I'm really anxious to discuss with you is how you've transitioned from business to self-publishing to being published. Now, I think you've got a, uh, a publishing house that carries and, and takes care of all your publishing cycles now. But when you first got started, can you please just go over a little bit how you, first of all, what inspired you to start writing, whether that was when you were three years old or after you've been two years in the, in the business world. So a little bit of that, please. Well, you know, I'm someone who didn't grow up wanting to be a writer. I mean, I always loved science fiction. I mean, even as a young kid, it was really an escape for me and, and something that intellectually was very stimulating. I, mean, I grew up in a, a small town in North Carolina, and um, you know, science fiction is something that, that really expanded my mind and, and always was, it was a love for me from an early age, but you know, my dad owned a sign company and I worked there as a kid and I sort of always thought that I would take over that company and run it. Um, but I went to college in 1998 and, you know, the internet was this, you know, global phenomenon. Started an internet company. And I did that for 10 years and I liked it a lot, but I didn't really feel completely fulfilled. I mean, I felt like I was, it's just sort of a middling, you know, entrepreneur to be quite frank and, mm -hmm. I had made enough money to, to where I could kind of take some time off and figure out, you know, what do I really want to do with my life? And, you know, it's like at the end of it all, what, what would I be really proud of, you know, working on? And, and for me, you know, science fiction is like, I would come home from work and read and, and that was really my passion. I mean, I was, a at that time, you know, you know, young single guy and I could kind of try anything I wanted. And so that's, that's really when I thought about becoming a writer is just looking at what I loved in my personal life. And, you know, the first book took me two and a half years to write. And, and that really was a journey of you know, personal exploration. You know, what do I enjoy reading and, and what am I good at writing? And, um, that's, that's really how I, you know, discovered writing and I've been doing it now for, for about 10 years and you know, a lot has changed in my life since then, but, but I still love it. I, I believe you on that. That's 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 interesting how you now you make it sound like you know like I love science fiction, so I wanted to write an international best-selling novel. So, so let's go. <laughs> it wasn't quite novel. that easy. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a good bit more arduous, but yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. so how about just the origin of now? So, the Atlantis Gene is obviously the first one that that I read, and was that your first novel or was that? the first novel that I read. That was my first novel. Um, I, I think what is published now is probably my 10th or 100th draft of that novel, but it's certainly, it was the first story I ever worked on. I get it. So, so I, I wanted to like explore that a little bit, like how you went from seemingly went from zero to a hundred miles an hour in, 
record-breaking 2.3 <laughs> seconds, you know, on this trip there. Well, I think, you know, it's sort of like uh, you don't want to see the sausage being made. I mean, I think a debut novel can be like that, right? I mean, it's the, the two years, two and a half years I spent writing it was a lot of, I think, writing and discovery and an iterative loop. You know, my wife, she was my girlfriend at the time when I was working on the novel. And actually, no, I think The Atlantis Gene was published before I was married. But, but I remember she read the book after I'd been working on it for two years and she was just terrified. I mean, she's like, you know, I don't think it's normal for someone to work <laughs> on something for so long in isolation. She was like, I was prepared to tell you that, you know, it was pretty good uh, no matter what, but she thought it was pretty good. But, but I think that first novels obviously always are your toughest, but I think, I think for me, what I, I thought, I felt like I had done some really good work on that novel, but what I was really after is, is getting better and getting some feedback. And that, that really was my perspective. And I think to a certain extent that comes from my internet startup background because the, you know, our first version of any product was never really where we wanted to end up. It was always, you know, let's release something and learn from the market and iterate. And, and while I don't think you can really do that in a book, I mean, you have to publish some version of it. Mm -hmm. I, I went, went in with the approach of, I want to release a book and see, see if there really is an audience for my work and to really try to get better at it. And I still, I mean, to this day, one of, I write because I really enjoy doing the work. And I, I think that helps you a lot if you do, but I write because I want to get better at it and challenge myself. And I think, I think having that perspective is the wind at your back. And to me, every release is not an end point, but just one more sort of, you know, step along the journey. Mm-hmm. So doing science fiction, but you also have a lot of history in there too that you're weaving through there. How much research do you do and how – I didn't do my own side checks. Let's just see about these, these, um, these historical points that he seems to be touching upon and in present time now, the whole thing with the U-boats and these portals and the location of Atlantis and all that stuff – how much of that stuff was based on research? And so you've got like best reliable information versus just like, I'm going to pluck it out of the air and just tell me, I'm, <laughs> tell me I'm wrong. Well, I think it depends on what kind of book you're writing, right? I mean, so when I wrote The Atlantis Gene, everything, as far as I could research, was historically and scientifically accurate. I mean, obviously you have some fantastical things in there that, spoiler alert, they're <laughs> are aliens in this trilogy. So, um, you know, for me with my first novel, like the science and history is something that I felt like I could do a really good job at. Like I'm, I'm a pretty big geek. Like I enjoy learning about this stuff. And, and that was part of the fun for me. Sure. It was, you know, let me take all the things that, that really fascinate me or terrify me and learn about them. And I can put them into a novel. Like, I mean, that, that really, frankly, it was my dream job is learning about stuff and then getting to write about it in a way that's entertaining. Mm -hmm. um, I don't, you know, I don't think I would enjoy writing like surgical manuals or not that surgeons <laughs> read manuals, but you know, where someone's <laughs> life was on the line. But, but if I made a technical mistake, no one is going to get hurt. I mean, I get shredded in reviews, but, yeah. um, but I think the science and history, at least for me as a starting, a novelist starting out, was something I felt like I could do a great job at. I knew that I would get better at dialogue and pacing and all these other facets of the book, but, um, and that's something I really still enjoy a lot. Yeah. 
So with respect to dialogue and pacing, again, I'm, I'm still a little bit hung up on this thing going from, I mean, you talk about, you know, the sausage factory, but I'm still looking at the zero to 102.4 <laughs> seconds. <laughs> I'm a publisher. So I kind of go like, <laughs> I'm, I'm seriously impressed, you know, that it's very rare that someone comes out of the gate, even though you say it was two and a half years to get out of that, to finally, you know, get out of the gate, but still to hit, to hit the deck and make a, an international best-selling novel. So I want to explore that a bit because a lot of the audience we've got here on the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast are aspiring writers, and they're going to they're going to think like A.G. Riddle, you know, the if they're like me or everybody else in my office, you know, the the whole series that you've you know that you've written there with the origin mystery and and then just the just released Extinction Trials, um, but how you came out and just like you did have good dialogue, you did have good pacing. You know, it, it was a page turner. How you did that at, at the get-go, because a lot of times a person, it's even a, a not uncommon advice, just be willing to throw away your first half million or million words. So right. maybe you did to get to the final edit that we're now reading, but can you explore that with me a little bit here? It's a great question. I mean, I actually wish I knew how much had been thrown out. I mean, I, I sort of see what I've published as the tip of the iceberg in terms of what I've written, right? And, yeah, that makes more uh, sense. Yeah, I mean, for a research-heavy novel especially, something that, that is intricately plotted, you're going to lose a lot. Like if it's, you know, if it's a, you know, a heist novel or that's a, just a chase, you know, you, you probably won't lose. I mean, you go from point A to point B with a lot of, character reversals and challenges along the way. But, but in the business that I'm in science fiction thrillers that have conspiracy elements, you go down a lot of dead ends and dark alleys. And sometimes, you know, it's like, I'm going to have to cut out these 10,000 words. And, and it's really painful by the way, because a lot of time my wife is my first reader. And a lot of times there's stuff in there that is research heavy that I've done the work on to research. I love it. And she's just like, this, this really is too long. It's too geeky. It's like, there's, there's not a lot of people that are going to want to read these pages and pages of stuff. And, and she's typically right. And I, I mean, to your sort of global question of how do you, how do you write a book that, that attracts a very large audience early or late in your career? I think, to me, I think it's about these universal themes and things that that sort of touch a lot of readers. And and I think the Origin Mystery trilogy and the Atlantis Gene in general, uh, to me, speaks to these sort of deep questions of humanity. Like, what are the what are our true origins? And I mean, th- we live in a world that is shrouded in mystery. I mean, there's you know seven seven point five billion of us, and you know there are these human ancestors, uh, Neanderthals and Denisovans and and other human predecessors that seem to be very capable and they're, they've been gone for a long time and, and never really existed in the kind of numbers that we do. And so that, that sort of scientific mystery, I think, has broad appeal. And I think the, the themes in the book are broadly appealing. And I think, you know, you can be like, I think I'm a, I'm a writer who's trying to get better with every book. And I think that if you write about things that, that people really are interested in. I, I think it helps you a lot. And I, and I think my work has been helped by that a great deal. Yeah. It's, I mean, the whole concept of, of our origin, you know, and how humanity came to be on, on this planet and how you address it 
is it's very fun. Do you ever get, I mean, you, you keep it pretty much on that science fiction, but science fiction also, you know, which I'm very familiar with because I've, um, I published all the, the fiction works of L. Ron Hubbard and by the nature of that, because he was part of that golden age of science fiction, a lot of the other authors then too also touched upon other themes, political and religious. And you seem to embrace that quite well. And it's not like, it's almost like an, an old school type science fiction. It's just fun to read. You know, you've definitely got good guys, you definitely got bad guys. You've got people like, is he, you know, the, the turncoat, you get all that stuff in there. This is like, it's a real fun story that I can, you know, that I don't shy away from reading. It's just like, okay, where's it going to go? Where's this taking me? And all of a sudden, oh no, you know, <laughs> and then, and then it resolves and like, how'd that happen? And it's, I mean, some of the stuff you're able to predict is going to happen. So you don't rely upon magic in your stories, which right. some authors will, will defer to, you know, when all this fails, it's just, oh, we just find a magic wand and prang. So some of the stuff, it just, it makes sense how you navigate that. So were you inspired by some of the older authors, older writers, old science fiction? Because to me, it seems like it follows more of that type of a, of a, of a storyline. Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, there's very little question been heavily influenced by the science fiction I read as a kid and both shows and, um, and novels. And I think, you know, for me anyway, I always look at science fiction as the ultimate escape. I mean, I, I love it for the intellectual stimulation and, and this exploration of big ideas. And one of the things I have tried to do in the books is to keep it, about the characters and the subject that's being explored and to keep, I mean, I think some of these other things can pull the reader out of the, out of the story. And mm -hmm. I think I'm not entirely sure my audience is there for any sort of much of my pontification and, and views on things that are happening. I, I think they read the stories a lot of times to get out of their real life. And, and I think that's part of the fun. I mean, I think the golden age of sci-fi was, was really good at that. And I think they, Absolutely. You, we owe a huge debt to, I think, the influence and also the perspective that was provided. But it's, you know, I think on the other side, it's like I write about things that that I fear and and I want people to be aware of. I mean, in 2017, I published a book called Pandemic that, you know, explores a global pandemic. And then, you know, you think, you know, in 2020, we were thinking about running some ad campaigns for that. And we just thought, you know, this is not not the right time. time and right. you know, it's, it's just like <laughs> I, you know, things can become even things you think well this is the ultimate escape for readers that <laughs> sometimes that reality has a different idea so yeah now on on the uh atlantis gene and the whole thing of the german u-boats in in um antarctica now remember i i haven't done that much history research but i remember various points reading about that so how much of that is actual fact and at what point did you break up because i know they're doing various studies and stuff like that trying to create something you know the germs at the time so how much of that is what you have on your research and then you just took it at what point did you make it science fiction from science fact from what you saw it's hard to draw the line i mean you know we know the germans were interested in antarctica and sent an expedition there and then we know they had obviously very advanced weapons research um and so, you know, you, for, for me anyway, I sort of take the things that 
that I personally find the most fascinating. And then I try to integrate those with fiction. And, and at some point, you know, the fiction has to take over. I mean, sure. you know, the, the Germans are long gone. So, um, you know, bringing them back into present. Or so you think. Or so we think. Or are they? But yeah. So um, yeah, it's, it's, I think the tough part is how do you, how do you take what, you know, is, is history and then try to extend that, to feel believable and real and interesting at the same time, because I think, you know, it's a balance of, well, you know, you can stick really stick to the facts and make it completely real and believable and have a story that's not as fascinating as engaging. And then on the other side, you can go off the deep end with the you know, speculative stuff that the readers aren't, aren't able to go along with. So I think finding that balance, frankly, is one of the big challenges uh, to me anyway, in science fiction. Yeah. So, that's actually a point I wanted to ask about is you seem to hit it like really, really good. Was it just, is it because your now wife is just a brilliant first <laughs> reader that you have found in your backyard? You found this rock when you touch it, all of a sudden um, revelation came up, up upon you to on how you're going to write this book or you just had took extra B one one night and just filled <laughs> and there it was. How, how'd you navigate that? Cause that was just amazing how you did that. Well, it's a good question. I mean, I, I think some of it is my own instinct. That's probably about 2% of this. And then, you know, you marry that with someone else's perspective. And I think that is sort of the power of early readers and beta readers and getting your family to read it. My wife, is not a science fiction fan. So it's like, if you can make something that someone who doesn't read science fiction will go along with, I think you're helped immensely. And then I think, you know, the, the Atlantis gene now has you know, 23,000 reviews on Amazon. So when I was starting out, I mean, I read every single review and, and obviously for the, when new books come out, I'm, I'm reading them constantly. And I think, I think th that is also a double-edged sword. I mean, you can, you can get a lot of feedback and you can develop almost an instinct, instinctive feel for what audiences are going to think. I mean, you have these lines of believability where, you know, well, all right, here, this much of the audience is going to be able to suspend disbelief up to this point. And then when you go to this point, while it raises the stakes and makes the, the novel even more interesting, you're going to lose some audience. And that, there's something a little agonizing about that, but it helps you a lot to know sort of what your readers where they are in terms of what they'll read. And I think reviews help you. I think having a critique group helps you. And then, and then I think ultimately as an author, you got to have a lot of confidence about what you're writing to and, and ultimately what you want to read. That should be your ultimate guide. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And that's now again, I'm still a little bit hung up on this point, how, you know, this my zero to hundred analogy. So did you ever write in high school or college or was this just something a, a, a latent because you were such a fan of science fiction, all of a sudden the muse blossomed overnight and you realized that you've got that skill to write an international best-selling novel. So I'm going to, you know, keep on hitting at it to, and then two years later, there you have it. Cause normally somebody's like, yeah, I used to write short fiction. I was, I doodle a lot in high school. I would do this, I do that. And then just kind of like it grew, but that's not part of your story. So again, a little bit more it's cause there's a lot of people to be listening. Like, how do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> so my question is, how do you do that? 
<laughs> yeah, I think, you know, ultimately, I'm someone who believes that we're all born with a certain amount of talent and we have different, you know, some writers are great at dialogue and some are great at pacing and some are great at plot and ideas. And, you know, very rarely are any of us, you know, good at playing the entire field. And I, I mean, I don't think you have to be. And, and so I think for me as a writer, the process was, you know, what do I think I'm really good at? Let me lean into those things. And, and, you know, those two years, the last 10 years of my career have been spent on really trying to get better and, and challenging myself and, and having a passion for the work. I mean, I think, I think that helps you immensely. I mean, I didn't, I sat down to write a book that, that I instinctively felt was really good and fascinating and, and new, new enough, but familiar enough to really succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think those are the keys, but I think also realizing that you're going to get better over time and, you know, you're not going to be great at everything right out of the gate. And I don't know. I mean, I think, um, I I think that my career certainly was helped a lot by writing the right book at the right time. Sure. um, I would just, to those listeners, I mean, it is an iterative process and, I mean, I think every, no matter who you are, every author at some point in their career has thought, you know, I'm not exactly happy with where I am and I need to get better. And I think that's part of this career. So um, that's, you know, sure. I think that's part of the process. Sure. So now to conceive the idea that became Atlantis Gene or was it the origin mystery trilogy? You, you mapped that whole thing out or did you start and you conceived Atlantis Gene and then from there – evolved the balance of the trilogy? Well, one of the things I wanted to do when I wrote the first book is to have all of the backstory for the characters and how the world came to be. And, and sort of, it was important to me to have this really big surprise at the end of the book and to have a really strong ending. I mean, I, um, I, you know, the, the biggest fear for me is writing a book where you get to the end, there isn't this really big payoff. I mean, I, I don't think that would just like, and I, you know, I think you, you can go, you can be too plotted and too premeditated where the book doesn't feel organic and, and authentic. But for me anyway, I like to have that. I like to know that there's the big payoff coming at the end. So I did, I had written a broad outline of a, of a trilogy. I'd written a backstory, but I, I had really planned out the first book you know, with the idea that I don't want to, I knew some things would change. I didn't want to do all the, I didn't actually have, it probably would have taken me another you know, two years to plan out the other two books, but I wanted to get the first book out to see if it's something I should be doing. Um, I get it. With respect to, a, you know, ad, advice to other writers, you know, what were the, for this one, and we're going to, we'll, we'll, discuss extinction trials um, in a bit here, but just in terms of advice to uh, writers, like what was your, what was for yourself the, the big payoff? Not just like, obviously I was, in, I was a success, but what for you was a payoff and what were some of the hurdles that almost tripped you up and made you say, okay, this isn't for me. I, I need to, I need to stick with my existing work. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, for me, the probably the biggest payoff has been getting to do the work. I mean, I still really enjoy sitting down and writing a story, you know, creating. I love coming up with a question that I want answered you know, as a reader and as an author. I mean, and that doing the 
the research that goes along with that and, and the, the work of plotting and, and actually writing the words and putting, you know, sentences and paragraphs together. Mm-hmm. I, I am someone who enjoys that. And so I think, um, I do think there's a, there's a profound feeling of accomplishment of having finished a novel, you know, no matter what, what happens to it after you release it. I, I think for myself, you know, I grew up, my grandfather owned a lumber company, my, my dad owned a sign company. I grew up creating things and I, at a young age, developed a love for that. And, and writing a book is still, is still a lot like that. And there's some magic that happens in that process. In terms of hurdles, I mean, I think, you know, I think as authors, it's sort of like there's no one size fits all for all the challenges, but there are commonalities, right? And so, you know, for me, some of it is is handling feedback. And then probably my biggest challenge is settling on an idea to write because there's opportunity cost there. I mean, it's, I've got folders and folders full of ideas. And if I'm writing one, I'm not writing the other. And so I'm, I'm always thinking, you know, gosh, I wish I was writing that other story, you know, inevitably about, you know, quarter of the way or halfway through. And um, I just have to remind myself, you know, it's like um, life is short, but it's not that short and that there's time to get to everything. And, and so I think, you know, as writers, it's sort of like, I think part of the challenge is figuring out what, what are your hangups and what, what are the things that limit you? And, you know, for some writers, it's, it's time management or it's, um, you know, dealing with the software in Scrivener or whatever you're using, or it's, you know, trying to make your dialogue better and, sort of, I think all of us become to a certain extent diagnosticians of our own careers and trying to find these limitations and and shoring them up. And I I think that's probably true for any career. Mm -hmm. How much time do you spend a day or week or how do you pace yourself on writing? I find that I'm the most productive writing wise in the morning. So I, I will spend I try to spend at least three or four hours writing if I'm drafting something. I find that if I write for longer than that, it's, it's not quite as good and I'll have to edit it more. And so I typically, if I'm, if I'm in the middle of drafting, I try to write every single day, you know, seven days a week. And, you know, I might not do work in the office in the afternoon, but I will write on my draft. And, um, and typically the afternoons or emails and other things. And it's, it's like every year it seems like this business gets more complex and there's more to do. Like, you know, the writing gets crowded out a little, but that's, that's sort of my schedule. Okay. So that, so you originally started, you had your first book and you, you shopped it out and then got nowhere and then went to, or how'd you, how'd you go from your idea writing and then where, how'd it go from there to, getting published with, um, I guess it was Kindle that you originally made your debut with. Yeah, that's right. I mean, when I wrote the book, I, I never considered submitting to a traditional publisher. I, I didn't really know anything about the publishing industry. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I did know a great deal about releasing things on the internet. Like that's something that I had made a lot of money doing and felt very confident in. And I also knew, I knew what was important to me and that was hearing from readers and not necessarily editors or agents or, or anybody like that. I, I had this sort of belief that if you have an audience for your work, then you just go and figure out the other things. And I think that's a very different perspective than, than would have been the the perspective 20 or 30 years ago. Um, And certainly 
maybe from a, a lot of different writers. And I still believe that actually. So I, I took the Atlantis gene, uploaded it to Amazon's Kindle direct publishing program. And um, for the most part, you know, my wife put the book on Facebook and told her friends, you know, my, my boyfriend's written a book and you've got to go read it. <laughs> that was really about, <laughs> I don't know that we ever had, we never had any uh, paid ads. I don't, other than having the book very inexpensively, like 99 cent and having some newsletter or something, but that's sort of how I went about it. And things are a lot different now, but that, that was my approach. I get it. So with respect to a traditional publisher, one of the main arguments for that is the editorial that a traditional publisher will provide before they put something out with their name on it. So how did you deal with that? Because you've got the editorial, you got proofreading, and that's one of the downfalls too of someone not having a, a production line to go through of getting something that's got either typographical errors in it or it's got just common common errors that an, a, an editor will will address. Yeah, well, I think it's a great point. And I think, personally, I think that the quality assurance of traditional publishers is becoming more important as, as more books come into the market. It's like in March of 2013, when I released The Atlantis Gene, I had read that thing so many times and it's like, you know, you, you and my, my mom had read it and then we hired a professional freelance editor. But, you know, my process today is a lot different in that my UK publisher, Head of Zeus, which has now been acquired by Bloomsbury, you know, they edit all of my books and they come up with really great stuff, stuff that I never would have thought of and didn't see. And they, I, I really value that a lot. I mean, I think you can hire some good freelancers, but I think inside these publishing houses, there are some some really incredible professionals working. And I think, you know, they do my my cover art and my editing now. And so I, I guess I'm a bit more of a hybrid publisher in the, you know, I write the books and they, you know, they publish them in the UK and, and we do our US operations, which are, are somewhat dependent on their, I mean, the professional effort that they put into the books. Mm -hmm. So, so I guess we're, we're both kind of in agreement that the, the importance of having editorial work done other than your own eyes. Cause like I said, you've seen, you'll see it a hundred times and then eventually you just start, you don't see things. Well, I agree. And, and I also think the market has changed. I mean, that was really eight and a half years ago when the Atlantis gene came out. And I think, I think even, you know, eight, nine years ago, you could have some errors in a book and, and there was so little supply in some of the genres that readers would be fairly forgiving, especially if it was at a very affordable price. I think today there is a lot of books in the market and, and I think readers expect a really high quality product in terms of, you know, error free on typos or as close as you can get. You've got to have good cover art and you have to really, I think the bar for standing out in the market sort of continues to get raised. With that being said, I, th I think it's still possible. And I think if you write something that that is fresh and, and different in the marketplace, you have a good chance. But I do think you need, um, you really, really need um, good editing and good proofreading. Yeah. One of the things we've got with the writers of the future, because every year we publish 12 new writers and 12 new artists. And I'm just always amazed at 
one, the quality of storytelling, but the freshness, which is, which is one thing was great about, you know, the Atlantis gene. It was just such a fresh idea, but we've got 12 stories every year. And it's not just this is the, this type of story. You got fantasy, science fiction, alternate history, some dark fantasy, some really dark fantasy, some, you know, there's just all types of stuff, but it's all fresh, but it's also really well edited, especially in short fiction. You've got to, it's got to be there because if you have one too many sentences at the opening paragraph, like, okay, I'm done with this one here. It's, it's real. You got to grab somebody by the, by the shirt and just shake them straight away on a, on a good short story. But for yourself, how hard was it to overcome to um, throw away, you know, that was, well, you made that one comment about the 10,000 words that you did a lot of research in. How important is that or how, you know, because you've got yourself, and I've talked to various authors before who, you know, when they want to go to traditional publishing, it's like, they'll take it, but uh, you need to lose this, make it this genre instead, and then turn him to a her and 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 all of a sudden you said well where's my where's my creative integrity anymore versus doing what the market will bear how how did that fit in with yourself it's a it's it's a really good point and i think it's um my view on it is that i think as authors we you know we fall in love with our work and i think it's a very natural thing and i think you do you should be right. I think if you, if you're doing it right, you, you care a lot mm -hmm. about what you've written and, and in different ways. Like, I mean, for me, the books that are, the books I'm writing that are filled with science and history, I think to some extent there's this desire to show the audience, look what I know, look what I've researched and I've read. And I, I have all this stuff in here. And my wife, uh, who is kind of the reality check on that is like, you know, this is just too much. Like you've got to, you got to trim this down. If you're going to, if you're going to keep the reader's attention and keep the story moving. And, and I think there's this balance. And I also think there's the complication of, of living in a world where attention, attention spans are shrinking and mm -hmm. it's people want, um, I think people probably want a different pace in some of their fiction than they might have, you know, a hundred years ago. And so I think it's, it's like figuring out where your audience is and, and different audiences want a different pace, by the way, even within science fiction, we have these sub genres that, that move at a different pace. I mean, mm -hmm. science fiction thriller might uh, be radically different than an epic fantasy or something like that. Right. So, yeah. so I think knowing your audience and knowing what really is important in terms of cutting or making modifications to your story, I think as writers, we also have to figure out what's important to us. And I think if you're at a point in your career when, where you can say, well, this is the story I want to tell and I don't want to modify it. Yeah, that's great. If you can pay your mortgage and support your family and do all the things you need to do. But at the same time, I'm someone who I write the stories that I'm really interested in. I try to publish what I think readers want to read. And I think there is some negotiation there. And I think you have to have the mentality of, look, I'm a professional and I'm publishing these stories for other people. I might be writing them for myself, but, um, and I think that's sort of the adaptation and translation part of taking what you love and trimming or modifying it to be what, you know, audiences are going to enjoy. And, and I think 
to me, that's just being a professional. I don't think it's compromising your ideals or anything like that. And, but you, you as the author have to figure out where the line is and, and what's important to you. So I think that's, that response is brilliant. I think it's so true. And if it's something you're going to be doing as a profession and that's how you're going to pay your bills, keep the roof over your, over your head, support, support a family, you can write what's, what's, you know, is real for you or what you want to read, but it's gotta be something that other people are willing to read. And that's, that's really the bottom line. Cause if they're not willing to read it, they're not going to be paying for it. And you're not going to be keeping much of a house hold, you know, thriving, at least from your writing. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So on your, on your transitioning from, like you said, you were successful with your internet uh, company as you were doing already. So you're already, uh, making enough money to support a house and you weren't living in your parents' basement you know, <laughs> or the room above the garage. So the transition and what was it that, what was that benchmark that you wanted to be able to achieve that you said, okay, good, I'm going to quit that and just dedicate myself to this. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Like back then, like when I, I guess I left my first career in, in around 2011 and I had a fairly long runway there. So it wasn't, I didn't really have a hard and fast, I need to make this happen by this date to keep doing this. I, I was really sort of looking for, you know, what, what is work that I could do that would be more fulfilling and, and, and feel like, you know, I'm, I'm in the right career and, and doing something that I think has meaning. Um, and, and certainly the books have taken off in a way that i I really had hoped for, but didn't anticipate. Mm -hmm. um, and it's been, you know, I just, I feel incredibly fortunate at, at how well it's done. But I, I do think my advice, I always get a bit nervous when authors email me and say, you know, I've quit my job and I have this much time to make this work. And I, man, I just don't, boy, I think, I think that's a real, I mean, it takes nerves of steel. And I think, um, I, I think you're probably better off doing it part time until you really can get a financial safety net or, you know, some success under you is, is my opinion. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know Kevin Anderson, Kevin G. Anderson and his wife, Rebecca Mesta. He was entering the Rise of the Future contest like almost 20 times before he proed out. But they worked out their business plan, which was because he was a research scientist and she was that as well. Um, and... So they had a year's worth of expenses in the bank, in the savings account before they decided, okay, we're going to flip the switch and just go pro. They've been doing a lot of writing, but they absolutely were not making the money to be able to, to support themselves. But they said, okay, we'll have a year's worth of, of savings that could cover every known expense that we could possibly run into. And then they quit their, their jobs and just went to uh, pursuing a career in writing, which obviously took off quite well. And he's done very well his most recent Dune book obviously is doing great with uh, tie in with the movie that just released, but it's, um, I think it's, you know, we, we see this a lot too, just from people who, when they win the writers of the future, okay, good. I'm going to, I'm going to do it now. You know, it's like, okay, good. You've got a lot of people, have a lot of votes of confidence in it, but you still need to write and you still need to have enough out there. And in fact, there just was a, a conference that was held in Las Vegas uh, this, this past weekend I think it's um, 10 to 50K. It's 10 books to make it $50,000 a year income. 
but you need to have the 10 books out there already published before you're going to start seeing that one because it builds up your your name enough and your quality of writing plus enough stuff for people to be able to sample and, and get more. So um, I think that's really sound advice that when someone says, I'm going to quit my day job because I just had a success. I just sold my first book. How much did you get for it? Well, it's, you know, it was, it was $5,000, you know, and it's not enough to do more than the first month of, of income that they need for, for living. So with respect then to, I guess, making that transition for yourself. So again, so you had your, your internet company, you went and you had these books written and then once they were, once the first went last gene was showing some sign of, of success and you hit like however many thousands of sales, then you stopped or you transitioned and you just, cause it was your company, you got more people to do this stuff. And so you kept uh, ownership on or, or have that a little more specific on that transition. Yeah. So, you know, I'd written the Atlantis gene, released it and obviously had very broad outlines for the second and third book in the trilogy. And you know, one of the things we did after the Atlantis gene was released is I went back and re-edited the book again. I, um, I hired a professional outside editor, uh, David Gatewood. My mom had edited the book. My mom at the time was a retired eighth grade English teacher, and very smart lady and she avid, avid reader. Um, and gave me some great feedback and, and the book had been proofread, but I, I, you know, I spent the summer released in March and, I mean, almost immediately I was rewriting and working on that book. I mean, it felt, it felt a bit like Groundhog Day, where it's like, every, you know, I've been working on this thing for years and I'm still, I released it and I thought, okay, now I can go do something else and just sort of, I guess, pace in the room and wait to see what the world thinks of it. But I spent the summer editing the book and working on the second book. And the second book, The Atlantis Plague, came out in December. And I, and I, I really felt like that would be the real test. I mean, I think selling your first book is, is incredibly difficult, but selling your second book, I mean, that's the real test. If people say, all right, I like this enough to go and purchase your second book. And, and it came out, I think in November, November or December, maybe December of 2013. And I, I remember those two books together had a hundred, a little over a hundred thousand paid sales on Amazon that month. And I just thought, man, this is incredible. And and I was really happy, and and I think that to me was the biggest sort of confirmation that yeah, this is something I should carry on with, and and so I, I also felt like I had this audience that was really engaged, and I wanted to complete the story for them in a timely fashion. So mm-hmm. the third book in the series came out in May of 2014. So we had about a six month, six to eight month gap between the books, which back then was was pretty quick. I mean, you know, today it's like six weeks between you know books in yeah. a series or something. But um, the other thing that was happening was starting to get some confirmation internationally, like the books sold in, you know, 20 languages. And, and so sort of getting up and running with foreign publishers was something that uh, was really important. And it's been a very good revenue stream. And it's also been something that is just thrilling, like to get the foreign editions in the mail of the, of the books, at least it's thrilling for me, but for sure. But for sure. Yeah. That, yeah. That was sort of my process was when the book came out is editing and trying to complete that story as, as quickly as I felt like I could do in 
and do a good job with it. Yeah. Okay. Now, um, you just released the extinction trials that goes off into a, for me, it it was, it's maybe not dissimilar to what you were doing before with the origin mystery trilogy, because it's also origin related. And it's interesting how, um, because I gotta do this without any spoilers on it, but it, like I said, it really reminded me a lot of a of a screenplay that was written by Owen Hubbard. He wrote three screenplays that that never got when he was still alive were never turned into the into the the theater or the or the movies. But two of them were novelized. But the last one, a Revolt in the Stars, wasn't yet, and it's it's a similar theme to what this um, story is here, the extinction trials, how that come about. That's again, we're going to ask this so it doesn't give away spoilers because it's definitely, you don't see that one coming, you know, (laughs) which is great. People are, when you read that, you're going to be really, really, really impressed with like, okay, here's an ending worth, you know, coming to, you know? So, (laughs) and I know a lot of my, I'm the first one at, at the office who's finished the story. So I've got to keep muzzled now when talking about this. When we talk about the other stuff, everybody talks, oh, yeah, I love this part here and this part there, and this is great when he does that. I so didn't see that coming. I can't do that right now with this one here, <laughs> at least at this point. Well, thank you for the kind words, uh, first and foremost. I, um, when I wrote The Extinction Trials, it, I had just finished the trilogy, the Long Winter trilogy, and I, I wanted to write. I, you know, writing a trilogy is for me anyway, a, a bit like a marathon. I mean, you're writing sure. three books that have to sort of tie together and sort um, of, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have to tie together in a very real way. And, yeah. and that one was, and, and I wanted to write a standalone. I, I had this idea for the extinction trials, uh, probably a few years after I wrote Atlantis. And I, I is, I still think it's one of the, one of the story ideas I'm most proud of. And, I, I guess I had sort of wanted to wait until I was a little further advanced into my career to try to write it. And it's this, this story that when you turn the first page, it changes everything that you think you knew, knew about the story. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I've always, always liked stories like that. And, and so I wrote it, you know, I began writing the extinction trials in 2019 and I finished it. I finished it, you know, just as the pandemic was starting to spread across the world in March of 2020. And so I'd written the extinction trials is about six strangers who wake up in an underground bunker after the world has ended. And they're told they're in this experiment to restart the human race. And so at that point I I really was at a crossroads because I've written the story about people trapped inside after the world has ended. And I think the world sort of feels like that, or it was feeling like that in 2020 and 2021. And, I I was really unsure what to do with. I mean, I put the novel on the shelf for obviously about a year and a half, and you know, my agent. I finally let my agent and the UK publisher read it, and they just loved the story. They were like, you know, this is. They felt like the it was a very strong book, and my 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 film and TV agent read it, and um, he really loved it, and so that that sort of gave me the push to to release the book and uh, to have a little more confidence in it. And the response from readers, I mean, I've just been very humbled and, and just very glad that people enjoyed it and, and that it was enough of an escape and that people didn't feel, cause it's not a book that really is about COVID. 
or anything like that. It's, uh, it's about something, as you know, really different. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that one there, I mean, you've, you've, you seem to, at least on the two series that I've, that I've been involved with that you've written, are into origin theories and address that in not dissimilar ways. I mean, they're not definitely the same way, but they're not dissimilar where it's other, other factors, other beingnesses that are involved with um, the origin of, of the human species. So how's that come about or how is that? You know, I'm trying to keep this as general as I can to let you pick whichever way you want to take it. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to avoid spoilers, but yeah, the um, I mean, I would say it's a personal fascination and a deep interest in these big questions about human origins. I mean, I, I think my work at at the heart is about you know these sort of scientific mysteries that surround us as humans, and it's, I think one of the big mysteries is where is everything going and what is our future and 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 on the other side of that is you know what's what what is the truth about the past and human origins and what what makes us so different as humans and you know why why have we accomplished what we have on this planet and no other species really has and I do think there's I think there's great stories embedded in those scientific mysteries and I think there are things that that I love to read about and I certainly love to write about and it's you know when I wrote the Atlantis gene, you know, I've, I felt like this is a book that, that has a lot of potential, but certainly was, was not prepared. I mean, what I learned is that there's a lot of other people that want to read about this too, apparently, um, yeah. which, uh, has been, uh, sort of been the wind at my back as a, as an author. Yeah. Now on, on your just released book there on the extinction trials, I mean, when I definitely get, what I would think or I would conclude is your general outlook towards humanity, towards life, towards what's going to uh, enable a, uh, a good future for humankind. Is that, is that you? I think so. My beliefs are certainly embedded in the, in the book, you know, I mean, there's definitely beliefs in there. That's like, <laughs> it's like, you know, loud and clear, which, Fortunately, I, I, I totally agree with, you know, your conclusion and, and the winning of the extinction trials there, you know, what, what that, those elements were. So I cut and you I off, think, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, well, it's a great question because yeah. it's, I think uh, to me, um, the stories that I really love, uh, they explore these big ideas in science and history, but I think in the post-COVID environment, I think we would all agree that one of the things we've learned is that, you know, our values and our beliefs are incredibly important. And, you know, it's how we, how we approach the world and what is our perspective. I mean, these things are, to me, I think these are the things that determine our destiny. And that's what's sort of one of the themes in the book and one of the things that's embedded in there. And I think, you know, it's like, as I get deeper into my career, it's like the things I'm fascinated by, you know, are these big questions in philosophy that I, I think I was probably influenced as a kid. You know, my parents were, um, you know, their values were instilled in me and I think they come through in the books. And, and I think, um, I think there's something really interesting about 
mixing that with, you know, science and technology. And, and I think that we're all figuring out that the technology can solve a lot of our problems, but there, there are just as many problems that we have to solve ourselves. And, and it's, it's really about our values and how we approach the world and the people around us too. And I think that, that is a big part of the story is these six strangers that, that are really different from each other that, that learn to work together and, and learn about each other. And, and, and ultimately they are, you know, the key to success, right? Right. Each other. Just interesting because it was, you have at different points, you just really want somebody to team up on this one guy and just get him out of there. Cause he's <laughs> such a uh, like negative, you're like, Oh, come on. <laughs> but they don't, you know, it's like, and it's, it's such a microcosm of what you see on planet earth that it is also like, if we actually did that and work together, what could we actually accomplish here? And it's interesting because, um, Owen Hubbard had this one article, which I'll, I'll send to you when, when we're done with this interview here on science fiction writers actually being philosophers, you know, with, with what they do. And, and your, your story here, it's a great read. It's, it's entertaining. It's engaging. It pulls you along. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of like, oh, no, hair pulling out, all the whole thing there. <laughs> but then it ends up then with a really, you know, maybe that is or isn't what your intention was, but it was just one of those things like, yeah, that was very satisfying the ending of it, not necessarily you're trying to get a message, but it's, it's very satisfying. And there's a series that Mr. Hubbard wrote called Mission Earth, which was written originally in the 80s, and now it's going to be, we're getting ready to re-release it, where you get that, you can see what, you know, the outcome of, of technology misused can result in, but also what can happen if you have the right attitude towards it, you know, which is right. what, which is what I saw like in the extinction trials there, you saw the result of the misuse of technology, which led up to the beginning of, of what created the extinction trials. And then the final resolution at the end, which you got to read it. Whoever's listening to this thing here, you got to read it because it is so not what you're going to expect. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's just really interesting how with science fiction you can do that because you can take a, a, a scenario that's happening in real life and change the characters, change the location, change so many things about it, even though it's, it's, that's what it is. And, you, and somebody can look at it and go, oh, okay, I can see that. Oh, that's ridiculous. And not realize that their own situation is that ridiculous thing. But it, it gives you that little bit of space that you can actually look at something and just – see it for what it is and maybe have a realization that yeah we can change yeah and I, I mean that that was honestly one of my goals with the book is that perspective of um i think at the end you think you think you know what this story is about and there are clues along the way that something greater than what you're reading is happening and some things that are off and that you don't really understand and i mean that I, for me as the author was part of the fun of it. I think part of the big payoff at the end of the yeah. book. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely worth for me the the listen. So one last thing that we haven't talked about is like, how'd you get your audiobooks are awesome. I, because of my schedule, it, it goes crazy. So I'm always listening to audiobook in between whatever, driving home, doing this, doing that. Cause my schedule is, is crazy. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to enjoy the stuff in audiobooks. How did that happen? 
from going self-published to having audiobooks for your stories? Was that something that went via once you got published through a, a standard house, or is it something that you just went to Audible ACX and just went that late? Yeah, we've actually never done ACX. Uh, we the I think Origin Mystery is published by Audible, and now Recorded Books has done the last four books, and we have a contract with them for future books too. So yeah, we've always kind of relied on audiobook publishers just because I feel like it's a business and we kind of had our hands full, but it had been, you know, really pleased with the way the audiobooks have turned out. And No, they're great. Yeah. That's great. All right. So in terms of the future of, of Jerry, so like for someone to, first of all, who's not familiar with you, and so when they listen to this podcast, I mean, I can say Atlantis Gene is an, is an amazing way to start, um, but then so is the Extinction Trials, you know. Um, and those are the ones that I'm familiar with is that is that the Origin Mystery Trilogy and then the first of the Extinction Trials. That's going to be a three-part as well? No, I, I'm pretty satisfied with the ending on that one, so I think it'll – just looking at it as a standalone. Good. I mean, it, it definitely works as a standalone, that's for sure. Yeah. So what do you recommend for someone who's – you know, who's not familiar with you as the way to, to start getting familiar with you. I always recommend people go to the website, it's agriddle.com. And then, you know, I think look at the catalog. There's, I guess, 10 books there. Right. Yeah. And see what appeals, you know, for different readers might be, you know, different, different books. For sure. And granted this, your extinction trial is just released, but what's, what's coming up next? Are, are you, going to continue in, in other series? Are you starting a new series or what's what's coming down the road that you've got planned? Well, I, I've actually written two other novels that haven't been published yet. And, you know, because Extinction Trial was written back in 2019, um, yeah, I've had some time to you know continue writing. And so I'll have next year, there'll be at least probably two books out. One is a, another next one is a standalone and then I'm going to start a new series um, that's fairly ambitious, and uh, which I'm pretty excited about. So, and I'm, I'm probably, I'm thinking after Thanksgiving I'm going to start writing actively drafting again. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. You know, it's like I don't around the house. My wife's just like, you know, you just like you need to start writing again because it's just like I don't, I don't do anything like if I'm not writing and not it sort of throws my schedule off but yeah that's what I'm into <laughs> well that's great well I've had so much fun with this uh with this interview we've our, our hours come and gone on this but um I really appreciate you taking the time to to discuss with me on on the writers and illustrators of the future podcast oh likewise thank you so much for having me and thank you for listening Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Ron Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Jerry. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, really enjoyed it.